Yes, yes. The great Andrew Douglas taught me once that uh, done is better than perfect. So that's kind of our new motto. We just keep pushing forward. Like, let's just get this thing going and we'll deal with it in post. <laughs> Look, man, I'm, I'm not even, I'm not exaggerating at all when I tell you that I heard you guys talking about done is better than perfect. Like, I don't know, it might have been a year ago on your podcast. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. has become a mantra for me, like in all aspects <laughs> of my life. It's honestly made my life better. Doesn't it though? It's just like you, you could spend a lot of time worrying about things and like trying to make it better, you know. And as musicians, I suppose that's probably inherent in our DNA or whatever. But man, it is freeing. I tell you what. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. I can't tell you how much how much time I spent just like spinning my wheels on like, you know, trying to get a graphic exactly right or trying to get you know a song just right. And it's like you know what? At some point, you just just do it and push it out and stop stressing over it, and your life is better for sure. Absolutely. And I've even, I've taken that into my teaching sometimes too, as well as like, uh, not using that direct quote, but you know, like, uh, all right, now you got to go out and do something with this. Like your homework assignment is to go do something with this. Like, Mm. I'm tired of you trying to make it perfect. Like now, now what, well, how do we apply this to real life? (laughs) You know, that kind of thing. Well, and speaking of your teaching, so here's, here's my intro for Andy Fusco, or should I say Fusco or Fuco? How should I pronounce your last name? I thought you didn't use last names on this show. Yeah, that's, that's, well, you're not a minor. I'm not too worried about you, but yeah. yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, you can call me whatever you want. Just don't call me Susan, but yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, but my, it's technically pronounced Fusco, but Fusco. nobody ever says that. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say it right now. Here, here, here's what we've got for us here is Andy Fusco. He's a rock band drummer, pipe major of the Las Vegas pipe band. He's a grade two soloist. He's the Las Vegas bagpiper, a full-time piper, which is pretty dang cool. He's uh, one half of the infamous Chanterant podcast, uh, an instructor with the Piper's Dojo, currently, finally, the uh, winner of the Best Beard Award from the Big Rap Show. Woohoo! And it's also been said that um, every early E that the Las Vegas Pipe Band plays in a performance adds another gray hair to that beard. Uh, how, how silver are you looking these days? Oh, my God. It's a good thing uh, everything's we're not in person anymore. Like, nobody would recognize me. <laughs> So when everybody gets back together, they'll be like, what did you do with Andy? Oh, my God. They'll think I'm like Sean Connery. Well, <laughs> well actually, that was worse. my whole goal. <laughs> yeah, could definitely be worse. <laughs> Minus the uh, slap a woman stuff. But I'll, Yeah, right. right. Drop that stuff. <laughs> you, have to start, you have to start slurring your S's a little bit, get that Sean Reed mm-hmm. way of speaking as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, But, Andy, yeah, that's, that's great, man. Uh, you actually know a lot about me, more than I even know. Creepy, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and well, most of this I could just pull from uh, the Las Vegas Pipe Band, of course, has like excellent web presence. Um, I've watched some of those, uh, uh, I think called the Inner Circle uh, interviews. Oh, the, Inside the Circle? Inside yeah. the Circle, yeah. I started with the one, at least one of them that you did with uh, with Stuart Little. That's what pulled me in. And then yeah. that's when I started yeah. looking at all the Las Vegas Pipe Band content and be like, dang, these guys do a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, we try. And, and a lot of that has to do with Josh. I mean, the quality of it anyway, for sure. Yeah, the ideas of like the circle of death and the inside the circle concepts were, you know, just stuff we always wanted to do. But Josh is, has the ability to take it to a very high quality level, so that helps a lot. You know? Yeah, he does. Makes people great. actually not turn off, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, and and I, I'm hoping to talk to him sometime in a few months to talk about that uh, the Piper's planner that he designed for the dojo as well. Yeah, he does yeah, some yeah. cool stuff. Good luck with that. Like uh, when we're you did a good good you had a good idea. Separate us, you'll get way less swearing. And, <laughs> yeah, and craziness. So <laughs> yeah, that's that's one thing for anybody listening to this who isn't aware of the Chanter Ramp podcast. I would highly recommend it if there are no children around. 
it's it's hilarious and a lot of fun but yeah definitely not it's not like if you're gonna listen to it at work you got to use headphones for sure absolutely <laughs> we've had so many people say write in and say like like they just started listening and then oh my god they quit they had their headphones out at the wrong time and <laughs> yeah. you know, all that kind of thing oh, no. oh yeah that's, that's great <laughs> yeah I, I i binged up to current uh starting like i don't know last winter or something and it was my it was my go-to for when i was driving by myself that's yeah good idea yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're in your heads which is which is great yeah 100 <laughs> percent. and actually that's one of the weird things for me right now andy is talking to you and hearing you speak at 1x speed because with, with all my podcasts and and books on audible and everything i'm usually at least at mm -hmm. 1.5 sometimes at 2 um, wow so hearing you speak at normal speed is is kind of throwing me a little bit honestly because i've heard your voice so much but always way faster <laughs> i can talk faster if you like i'm pretty good at that i'm that, from new york i can do that dude that actually nails it that's exactly what i'm used to <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i listen to podcasts a lot too but i usually go 1.2 that's about as far as i can go otherwise it drives me nuts like i can't yeah my wife, plus my focus is hard you know i, I have to I, i'm like a you know i see a squirrel and i'm off yeah you know so i have to really pay attention yeah my, but, wife, my wife thinks i'm crazy she doesn't think i should listen to stuff like that but oh well <laughs> um so speaking of new york you're from New York, but you're you're thoroughly ensconced in Las Vegas now. How did how did that happen? Yeah, that's correct. Um, I've been in Vegas now twenty years, I guess, almost as long as I was in New York. I'm getting darn close to that. So, and I'm from upstate New York. Just to clarify, people people from the city hate it when you lump them together. Yeah, of course. I'm, yeah, <laughs> but, when uh, I hear New York, I immediately imagine like little Andy Fusco walking around on Times Square. Kind of exactly. Thing. Like everybody imagines Manhattan because that's all you've ever seen yeah, yeah. <laughs> on TV or whatever. But yeah. So, uh, um, yeah, now I've been here 20 years now. I, uh, I basically went through college in New York and spent a couple times bounced around the Northeast. My parents moved a couple times, but, um, and then got out of college and was like, uh, you know, I always had a, a little bit of wanderlust in me, a little bit of, uh, you know, dreams of, you know, traveling the world and stuff like that as a kid, as probably a lot of people do. Yeah. And, uh, got out of college and like, um, we, I mean, a couple of buddies did, uh, you know, backpack on Europe after college for the summer. And that was fun. And it's just like, oh, I want to, I don't really want to die where I was born. So I got to get out of here somehow, <laughs> well, you, <got laughs> you know, a pretty good distance right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, so we just, me and a friend decided to move across the country. We were looking at San Diego or Las Vegas or Seattle were our choices. And um, Vegas had the best living situation at the time. You know, California is incredibly expensive. And yeah, um, so we picked Vegas. And uh, so we drove across the country, just kind of picked up our stuff and left. That's kind of how we did it. Yeah. And uh, three, eh, three, four months later, he moved back. We both had girlfriends in New York at the time. And uh he, she, I think she pressured him. I don't really know the whole story, but that's my impression uh, to really get him to come back. So he did. And uh, I had just gotten a good job here at the time. I was working in finance at the time and I had just got a full-time job. I was doing temp work and then, and I'm like, Oh man, you gotta be kidding me. Like yeah. <laughs> I just got a good job here. And, uh, but I, so I decided to stick it out. Like I wasn't ready. I wasn't done yet. You know, I didn't know what was, what was ahead, but I wasn't ready to, to give up yet yeah. so i stuck it out man and i was taking lessons that's right when i started learning pipes as a matter of fact it was right before i left oh right before you left so you, you started learning while still on the east coast and then kind of brought it over with you into vegas correct yeah i mean maybe three months i i bought a chanter on the internet which did exist at the time i think was it a good chanter <laughs> or did you get one of them rosewood ones that'll give you splinters 
No, it was decent. It was a um, what's that Canadian company? I always forget the name of them. Uh, I mean, John Walsh or uh, is McCallum Walsh, the other? No, McCallum's Scotland. The other one, whatever the other one's called, I'm, I'll I'll take it in a sec. But I, I just got lucky. It was like that in the Green Book. It came in a package from somebody, and uh, and it turned out to be a good channel. I didn't know what I was buying, of course. I just bought something off the internet, like everybody does, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I went to a band called. Well, I went to the Hibernian Hall in Albany and went to the Albany Police Band, I believe, because they were given open lessons, and hooked up with a guy and learned a couple things, you know. I tried to learn on my own first. I got through like the first chapter of the green book, hit D throws. And I'm like, Nope, I'm out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, I need to find somebody. Anything yeah. beyond grace notes, it gets pretty rough to do it on your own. Cor- correct. And, uh, I had only played like drums and like saxophone in my life up to that point. So I didn't know what any of that was, you know? So, uh, yeah. So then I hooked up with the Hibernian hall, the Albany police pipe man, got a couple, you know, a few months of lessons and then moved to Vegas and then hooked up with what was then the Desert Sky Band. Right. Uh, now, now the Las Vegas Pipe Band. Um, yeah. But same, same group. I grew up, I, then, I've grown up here in Utah, kind of a neighbor to you there. So I've been aware of the, oh. I was aware of the Desert Sky Band somewhat. Um, right. Just having, I was a, I was a, I was a little kid piper. I got started piping when I was really little. And so we'd see, I think I'm pretty sure they came to some games here in Utah or something like that. that was oh, definitely did. Yeah. About them. Yeah. Um, so what about, now you mentioned that you had played drums before. You're also a rock band drummer. What's, uh, are you Correct. playing with one group right now or do you play around with a bunch of different folks? Just kind of grab gigs as you can. Technically I'm in two bands, two rock bands right now. Um, and, and what one... are those? Plug them, man. Give me, give me those rock <laughs> bands. Uh, one of them is a he- sort of a hard rock, heavy metal band. Uh, we are called Shadow of the Moon. Uh, we're very kind of, um, Chevelle-esque kind of, nice, uh, band. Nice. I, that's how I would describe us. Um, and the other band is a band called Revolta, which is kind of alt rock. I would say we're kind of like Muse a little bit in that sense. Yeah. Um, and that those guys I haven't actually seen since COVID started. Um, like the, they just they went complete lockdown and mm. which, which is understandable. The other guys were like, we don't care. Let's just let's <laughs> let's practice. So we've been working together the whole time. So. Uh, yeah, so that's what I'm doing currently. I've played in bands around Vegas for 10 years now on and off. And that's, um, uh, that's drum kit, right? Drum kit, yeah, correct. Yeah, and I've done that since I was like 12, 10 or 12 or something, mm. you know. So, yeah, I, I love the drums. It's great. <laughs> yeah, did, do you feel like you're – you said you also played a little bit of saxophone. Do you feel like the saxophone fingering and stuff uh, helped you get a leg up when you started playing pipes? Not even a little bit. Not um, even a bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I played saxophone in like middle school. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, and I even played trombone for a little bit. Um, just trying to find an instrument that I really, that, you know, gravitated to. But uh, so, I mean, it had a reed, so I was familiar with reed instruments. And yeah, I kind of, and, but you that was you blow about it. it. It's similar in that way, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but the keys thing and like, it was totally different. Yeah. yeah. Although I recently started learning. Uh, Ellen pipes. Yeah, and, uh, I, there's... I saw that on the Dojo 100 Day Challenge that you and uh, you and what Ozzy Broad. She's learning uh, banjo, right? And you were learning banjo, pipes? correct? Yeah, exactly. So we kind of decided to do that together. Um, and that's a, well, I mean, it, the Channer has has keys on it, so like it's at least somewhat similar gotcha. to a saxophone, sort of. Now it's coming full <laughs> circle. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, and I'm terrible at it, so don't ask me to play. It's absolutely awful. But you know. <laughs> Man, I've I've always wanted to learn Illin pipes. I, I've I've heard people say that going from competitive Highland piping to Illin pipes is like moving from marching band to jazz. 
I don't know, maybe you're not quite at that point right now if you're still kind of, you know, figuring out the notes and stuff, but what kind of feel do you get from it? Are you, are you digging it? Is, is this like a whole new world or is it pretty similar to Highland Piping? Uh, no, not at all. And it, that's what I find fa fascinating about it is uh, it's drastically different. And, and I know almost nothing because I've had no real instruction from anybody that knows what they're doing. And it's just like when people learn Highland Pipes and they go to YouTube and you're like, tell them don't, don't do that. That's exactly <laughs> yep, what I've done. Yep, you know what yep. I mean? But, but at least I know what good piping sounds like. So I know who I'm listening to at least yeah. <laughs> a little bit, but it is very different. Like it's in, in my experience so far, which is very minimal. It's uh way less um, formal, I guess. That it's, makes sense. It's, yeah. it's a little more free form, like crossing noises don't seem to be an issue. I mean, I, I, I don't have confirmation of that, but it seems like <laughs> that's like not a thing. A, I mean, they do them and it's okay. They're okay with it. And yeah, yeah. Uh, like the fingering is obviously slightly different, but it's similar enough. Um, but it is, it's just more freeform. And a lot of the things they do seems to be by ear. They have written music, but most of it's way more commonly trans transferred by, by ear, I guess, or by like watch me and do what I do kind of thing. Oh, that's cool. Um, where, Highland pipes are way more formal and like way more harsh, I suppose it seems like, yeah. Meaning like there's one way to do it and you're going to do it this way and that's it. And which, oh, yeah. it, you know, it's, it's a style a, and whatever. It's got a strong sort of military heritage for sure. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that's a pretty good description. Like calling it a little more jazz. It's definitely like, <laughs> you know, like jazz, you can play the wrong notes and apparently that's a good thing. I, it <laughs> right. seems to you, be the case here. To. You better play the wrong notes. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, now so, any jazz fans gonna be upset? With oh you. yeah, they're gonna write in. You can write in at uh, chenaran at gmail dot com. Yeah, yeah. Send, it, send any, anything <laughs> you dislike. Let them know at chenaran. Don't 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 bother me about it. <laughs> um. So are you playing, learning that on like a, if you got a goose, you know, like it's just a channer hook to it, or you got some drones on it? Uh, I have what's called a half set, but I don't have the drones hooked up. So all I'm playing is the channer and the bellows, basically. Was it a was it like a local maker that you got them from? Anybody you'd want to call out? Uh, I believe he doesn't make pipes anymore. Oh, here's the other thing about Ellen pipes is you think there's little on the internet about Highland pipes. There is nothing oh, like, yeah, I could not find this guy. I went on a hunt. I knew kind of his name. Cause the guy I bought him from told me, Oh, these are, and I don't even remember what they are. O'Reilly pipes or something, whatever they are. Yeah. The guy was apparently in Nova Scotia and the, so I bought him from a friend in the band who was moving out of town and Thought he was going to learn to play him, never got the hang of it, and just decided to sell him. So I bought him from him, thinking someday I'll do that. And he told me he bought him in from a shop in Maine that the guy makes him in Nova Scotia, something, something, whatever, right? So I went on a hunt to find find this guy because I needed to read because the read was like six years old, never played, and blah blah blah. Yeah. And much like I think it's like oboe or whatever bassoon and things like that, you're supposed to make your own reads, or for the most part, people do. Yeah. Um, unlike Highland pipe, so that's a whole big thing too. Um. And if it doesn't work, like you really need to know what to do to it, <laughs> which I know much nothing. more self-sufficient. You don't have like a, what, Henderson Imports or some, or Lone Star no. Piper or something. You can just be like, send me 12 reeds. Yeah, nothing I've found yet. So I actually found a guy that makes reeds in California, and he, he asked me to send him the chanter because I had a reed issue, and I still have it. Um, I still have the issue. So I sent him my chanter so he can make the reed for the chanter. Like wow. that's how specific wow. it has to be. So. I'm like, well, okay, so I won't play for a month and hopefully get it back in a month to six weeks. I mean, who knows? Yeah, <laughs> or I may never get it back at all. I don't yeah. know. But, uh, but yeah, man, it's it's wild. So, um, and I honestly cannot off the top of my head remember what kind of pipes they are. Oh, no, um, that's but, fine, man. I dig it. Yeah. That's totally fine. Um, 
you but you also mentioned so you got so you know saxophone might might be influencing your maybe it'll give you some benefit for your illin piping but you also have mm. gone from drum set to highland snare fairly recently i did yeah. was that an easy transition or was it pretty funky to kind of get the the highland the highland specific sort of swing um well i wouldn't say it was crazy difficult but that's more because because i'm a drummer and i think in drum terms more often than not i think rhythmically first almost in everything i had always listened to pipe band drumming so i kind of i knew the feel of what they were doing and i kind of knew the flow of what they were doing mm. i just didn't know how they actually made it happen so like if somebody would show me the stick like when i started taking lessons and show me the sticking of a certain like i don't know single five or whatever you know some sort of thing like i i had heard it before so i knew what i was trying to replicate i heard it a thousand times in a pit and i knew it in my head what it was supposed to sound like um so it did make a i mean it helped i mean the difficult part was i've never played traditional grip in my life so that's Mm -hmm. and that's where you play the backwards left hand thing yeah um i've always played drum set matched grip and even in high school and college when i played in like you know a drum percussion ensemble and band and whatnot we always played match grip for whatever reason so i just never learned that so that was really really tricky that took me like six months to finally not get my thumb in the wrong place like it took forever to get you, that right <laughs> does it feel comfy now or do you still feel tempted to just like go back to just gripping both sticks the same and just play the highland stuff no it feels it. way more comfortable now so like gotcha. i used to sort of cheat sometimes and try to play just for fun i would play like something somebody gave me with match grip because i could do my left hand better yeah but once I learned the the traditional grip, um, like now that's how I prefer mm. to try to play, like in a snare drum style. Like yeah. if I'm playing drum set, I still play match grip. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't flip for that. But um, it's way it's not uncomfortable. Let's put it that way. Like I'm not afraid of it anymore. You mm. know. Gotcha. So when you moved to Vegas with your, you know, just budding sort of beginning of learning to play pipes, uh, did you immediately find the Desert Sky Pipe Band and start picking up lessons from them? Or was it a while to figure out, you know, kind of who you could talk to and what to do there? Because, I mean, I'm familiar with Vegas. It's it's a big city all by itself, but it's also all by itself. So I'm curious if it was Correct. like really easy, like who plays bagpipes and everybody just pointed in one direction kind of thing. It was very easy to find them. There was, they were the only band in town, as far as I remember at the time. Um, I think I even found them before I moved because I was like that into it like right away. Like I was super motivated to play all the time and practice. And, um, so before I moved, I think I even somehow scouted them out online or somehow found the pipe major's name or number or something. And like, as soon as I got here, I, I went and found them. Um, like it was, it was one of my priorities, (laughs) if you will. Um, yeah. So I just, I knew I wanted to keep going and I didn't want to like flounder. And I know how easy it is to like lose motivation and, and stuff like that. So, um, so I found them almost right away and started taking lessons. Like they did the typical, you know, before they band practice here, here's an hour of people just showing up to, yeah. Like a free class. Know, kind of thing. Yeah. So, so, so there was a transition then at some point where you went from having a you know like a quote-unquote normal job to being a full-time piper but there was also a transition at some point where you went from being a piper in the desert sky pipe band to pipe major of the las vegas pipe band in what order did these things happen like were you a professional piper and then became pipe major and then talked about changing the band name or were you like how did that happen so no so i I became pipe major of the band in 2007 so basically the way that happened was 
I was learning pipes. I, I learned pretty fast. I sort of fortunately have a natural, uh, whatever for music in general. Um, I tend to learn things fast and just kind of became like, I became pipe sergeant within like two years. I didn't even know what I was doing. I had no leader, no leadership skills whatsoever. And just because I was one of the better players, that's how I ended up in that position. And then basically what happened was 2004, I went to the worlds with a band out of California. Um, oh, which we, band did you go to the with? It was called Misty Isle out of uh, Isle. Southern California. Oh. Yeah. And uh, we did like this combined, you know, as bands do sometimes when both are kind of floundering in a way, we, you combine bands and the drum section from this band is pretty good, but the pipe section of this band is pretty good. And then we did one of those sort of deals. Kind of a hybrid. So a few of us. Compete. Exactly. Yeah. And then so they decided to go to, to the Worlds. And so a few of us went. What, there, uh, and then what grade were you playing in? For, I think it was, had to be 4B. Had mm. to be. <laughs> if 4b existed at the time i don't i think it was but yeah, so it would have been four something um, anyway four something yeah <laughs> it was definitely four um but uh so then when i was there i met a met a kid that was like one of my flatmates he played in the band as well that played in a grade two band out of california and uh he's like oh you should come play with us and just you're pretty good like come maybe you, you can make it in this group or learn a lot from Seamus Coyne if you know who he is he was running that group so when I got back from the worlds he's like call Seamus and talk to him and see if he'll let you in and so I did I was like eh, I'll explore the opportunity you know whatever yeah. I, and I was terrible I, I mean I'm, I'm <laughs> very very average grade four player at the time but you know um but I learned quick and people noticed that so so I did that and uh, started playing with a band out of California for probably five years. So until 2009, I played with them. Um, and was this and in addition to playing with the Desert Sky Pipe Band or was it just the one band? So at that point, I kind of stepped back. I kept playing with them, but I didn't compete with them at that point. Gotcha. Um, meaning I'd play gigs and kind of help out. Um, but I kind of mostly was focused on that because I was traveling to California once a month to practice with them. And I was still had a real I had a real job at the time, meaning you know you know a nine to five if you will. Right, right. So I was working in finance. I worked at a bank, at Wells Fargo at the time, and uh, um, so then let's see, I played with it for five years, and then 2007 came along, and our pipe major decided to go get his MBA, and he asked if I would step in and take over the band. Um, so that's how that happened. Then, so I said, yes. So then I was doing both at the same time and I could do both because it's different grades. You're allowed to do all that. So, um, and then 2010, I was in uh, banking still and I lost my job. Like just the economy at the time, everything went to hell Yeah, and And Vegas says it does every few years. (laughs) Right. I have friends who live in Vegas. That was a rough time for a lot of people. Yeah, the the big, um, you know, 2008 hit hard and it was still kind of happening. It took like a couple of years, you know, the housing bubble, all that kind of stuff that happened. Right. As it probably happened a, a lot around the country, but it was really, really big it's like here. really bad um, in Vegas, yeah. Yeah, yeah, as things go. <laughs> I mean, so, just, in so many ways, Vegas is like an island in the middle of the ocean. It's just an ocean of dirt instead of water. So it's like... It's very, very true. It does have to be kind of a self-sufficient machine. And so, yeah, it's it can get hit pretty hard. Yeah, very true. Yeah, and we talk about that too as it pertains to piping. Like it's very hard. Like California's great. You got all these suburbs of people that play. We have our city, and that's it. You got four hours in any direction to anybody else right. that does anything related to piping. So yeah. you, you, out of towners is way more difficult. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. But uh, anyway, so 2010, lost my job. Then I just started doing piping just because I had nothing else to do. It wasn't like an intentional choice, but I was kind of prepared for it in a way. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. 
um, we were still Desert Sky at the time, and I've to be honest, I've always hated that name. Um, like that was like on the top of my list to somehow get that changed. Um, and it took numerous years for me to convince people to change it. And like literally five years, like I think we changed it in 2012 or about that. Um, that and it tricky. was a fight. I'd, I'd imagine there are probably <laughs> still people today who are still unhappy about it. Oh yeah. There's still, there's, <laughs> there's still people that say it sometimes we have like people in our like St. Andrew society or our, one of our, our drum major who's been around for 20 years, whatever. Yeah. Well, we'll say it. And I swear he does it on purpose just to tweak me. Cause he'll always yeah. start and say the name and it'll correct himself. I'm like, come on, man. It's been like eight years. Like everybody yeah, knows the name at this point. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> the new utilitarian yeah. name, Las Vegas. Pipe Band. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, it was a purely marketing. It was like desert sky. Nobody knows what the yeah. that is or yeah. why or cares. You well, know, it makes so much putting, sense. Yeah. Yeah, and there was a time period. Of, I don't know how well you've been around a while, where putting "sky" in your name was like the thing to do. Oh yeah, right? and you had to spell it S K Y E. Correct. Right. Yeah, and it was super cheesy. I think, <laughs> and I was like, "That's so dumb." Like nobody knows where, like where we are, who, like where we're from, or what we do. Just, yeah. Like that's what that's what your name should be. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I've heard you in Las Vegas pipe band on your podcast on the Chanterant that like you would have people ask like, Oh, who are you guys? Be like, we're the desert sky pipe band. And be like, well, where are you from <laughs> like, here? Right. We're all your local pipe band. We're your neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> all the time. All the time. It was, it's and to me, that's just good marketing. Like yeah, that's why I'm the Las Vegas. Like you've got, you know? you've got built in SEO when you start putting stuff up on, on websites and stuff. If you're the Las Vegas it's, pipe band. Exactly correct. That was my whole motivation for getting the Las Vegas bagpiper name and also Las Vegas pipe band is when somebody's looking for a piper, they're going to type in bagpipes, Las Vegas. Yep. I'm, You're automatically going to be at the top. I'm Duh. right there with you, man. My, <laughs> my, my personal URL is utahbagpipes.com. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and now I've noticed so many people, and I'm not saying I started this by any means, but you see so many people, city bagpiper oh, in, yeah. on their, yeah, all over the place. 100%. Yeah. So. Make just makes sense. You started it, yeah. This this is the yeah. I'll take credit for it. Your idea. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so that's basically how it all sort of came about. I think I think that's clear. Yeah, right on, right on, man. So so as you got you get the name changed, you're running your pipe band. In the pipe band, are you still playing with other groups as well, or is uh does Las Vegas pipe band become the you know main focus pretty quickly? Uh, for you personally, I mean, after I left the Seamus's band uh in 2009 like I pretty much focused on the local band per being that I really wanted something of quality in Vegas which we never had we've always had you know um sort of poor to average <laughs> poor to average grade four pipe bands here well you know uh, with I, I I've often said that part of what draws me to bagpipes because I, I like to play other instruments too, but it's kind of what I've stuck to the most. I, if I'm honest, part of it is what I call security in obscurity. That like, uh, if yeah. I wanted to play guitar, I'd have to be really good to go out and play in public. But there's not a lot of bagpipers, so not many people can judge me if I if I'm you know my tuning isn't perfect or if I mess up a bit. Correct. So I'd imagine that, that's even more the case in somewhere like Las Vegas. It's like, well, there are exactly eight people you know within 300 miles who do what I do. And eh, probably don't have to try too hard. Yep, that's for sure too. And I mean, I lucked into that, but that's absolutely correct. And I say, I joke around about this often. I say, I always say like, if Jack Lee ever moves here, I am screwed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my 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 uh, career goes out the window, or who, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I, I still care, so I still try hard. But 
you know, I'm never going to be Jack Lee or yeah, whoever. You know what I mean? If some you're Stuart Little, because you had bring Stuart Little out for the band, right? If he just is like, you know what, I like this. I'm going to stay here now. <laughs> yeah, right, Stuart, and, and you can be the Las Vegas bagpiper now. <laughs> yeah, it always Jack, for example, is a very. Um, we've had him out many, many times, and and uh, he's very astute he's very and he's very curious about everything so he asks a lot of questions and uh he always asks how's how's the business going how's everything going you get a lot of gauge he's always asking a lot i, I like get real nervous out. <laughs> yeah i'm like i'm getting nervous like uh, jack you're not moving here right yeah, be like, it's, it's really rough jack oh it's been terrible <laughs> well, it's terrible terrible you don't want to be here yeah absolutely but uh i think if i had ended up in california like i wouldn't be doing what i'm doing oh, i mean sure. maybe i would but probably not the competition is huge like there's very good players in southern california obviously yeah but I also think it's, you know, right marketing, right time kind of stuff as well, you know? Yeah. Um, well, and part of your professional pro- portfolio in bagpiping is also teaching. Um, correct. Uh, you teach with uh, Piper's Dojo. I, I can't imagine that they'd yeah. have anything against you sort of talking about it and plugging them. Um, no, no. He he lets, He's pretty cool. He lets us do whatever we want. <laughs> yeah. So actually, <laughs> pretty much. Actually, Andrew, I, I meant to mention before that you and I actually have talked before Um when I, I mean, it was, it's been a while, maybe been a, eh, two years. And we, we just talked really briefly in that context. I had signed up for one of those, uh, you know, one month trial runs of the dojo and you did one of those kind of onboarding oh, yeah. calls with me and just was, you know, yeah, just yeah. to kind of see how things were going and ask what my goals were and stuff like that. That's right. Yeah. 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 That's one of my jobs there. So when you work at the dojo, you're probably, unless you're Bruce Gandy, you're, you're not just doing teaching. There's, they have you do lots of stuff, which I don't know. Like I'm an independent musician. I have lots of friends that do that meeting like full time, if you want to call it musician, where it's a, it's, you know, the gig economy, like I'm doing a million things Yeah. because you have to, to make a living. Like, it's not just like going and playing funerals and weddings. Like that's a small part of what I do. (laughs) Right. So just like at the dojo, like I, I do teach five classes a week, but I also do the onboarding. Like you said, I I do what we call strategy calls. So we welcome people to the dojo. We show them around because it's a very, there's a lot on the website, so yeah, we have it gets very. You can you can get lost very easily if um, if you're especially if you're not particularly um, computer savvy. It's easy to get lost. So we show people around, we help them get started, all that kind of stuff. You know, I do student reviews. You know, we do um, people people submit assignments, meaning like they can upload recordings of themselves doing the homework that we give right. them. So we have to review all that. So we do stuff like that. I mean, there's a million things that we do uh, when so you're working for them. Would you say that at this point you are really the lifeblood of, of Piper's dojo. You're the, the power behind the throne as it were. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You're making I'm it all saying, happen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pulling all the strings. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew Douglas no. is just a front man, really. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's just, he's just that, that pretty face. The pretty on the face front of the... put in the front. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, he, uh, he is significantly involved. Like he, that guy is, he's like, um, I don't know what the right word is to say, but he is a genius in a lot of ways, but he's, he's got a million ideas and he's always trying to push the envelope. So, uh, and that's yeah, probably why they're as successful sure. as they are. Yeah. So, and he's, he's also got a great eye for talent. And that's what I think probably one of his biggest strengths is, is getting people around him to do the jobs that he, that he either doesn't have time for, or doesn't want to do anymore, whatever it might be. Wise delegation, but, uh, right. Yeah, so he's kind of like he'll he'll appreciate this, and I've never told him this before. But he's kind of like the Bill Belichick of the group, where he's just a good manager and picks good talent around him. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. So, and he's a big Patriots fan, so he'll appreciate that. Well, I will make sure. I'm gonna I'll pull out just that sound clip and, and email it straight <laughs> to him. 
Yeah, yeah, you can bleep it out otherwise. So, <laughs> and then I'll bleep it out before I release the episode. There you go. Right. <laughs> As if you were just cussing them out. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so on on Instagram and stuff like that, you're the Iron Piper. Is there anything behind that other than just it sounds cool? Uh, you know, it's one of those things. If I could change it now, I would. But right, it's but you too. Started it. it's, it's it's too late. Like yeah. when I first started piping, like um. I was really into well a band called Seven Nations if you remember them but previous yeah, to their piper previous I mean they've had a few over the years but they had a um, a guy that was known as the anti piper and that was just like his thing it, it, and he did a solo album that I thought was the guy is a crazy piper and um, it just sounded cool to me so I came up with something like that this was back in like 2000 and I was into like Iron Man and stuff and it was supposed to be like, oh, I'm going to have a symbol where it's like an Iron Man guy playing bagpipes and this whole thing. Right. And then, yeah. and, but I was like young and stupid. I'm like, oh, this would be great. And did you get it? Did you been... get it tattooed on yourself anywhere? You... Oh, no, no, no. Okay. Never. So you weren't too young and stupid. <laughs> no, no, no. I, and I'm not a tattoo guy. So <laughs> fortunately, otherwise I probably would have, but yeah. uh, <laughs> I did have a buddy of mine, the guy that I moved to Vegas with, he's an artist type. And I remember him drawing like a, pre-concept idea of it but we never i never did anything with it gotcha. um and then now even 10 years later i was like uh you know for business purposes it would be way better to not have that because <laughs> yeah. nobody can spell it because i spell it funny and yeah. it's just annoying but i've had it for so long that it's kind of hard to get out of gotcha so um, it's just something you're stuck with pretty much <laughs> gotcha. uh, but for the most part that's just like that's my email address that's just the name i use on like certain things when it's related to piping but well, it hey, really man, doesn't it still sounds cool anymore. it totally sounds cool so that's it cool. does it does okay. it's supposed to be like strength and power yeah all that's that right. <laughs> i mean i think of like you know iron man the the or, or also the iron man races that kind of stuff right right exactly yeah awesome so speaking of the quality of the las vegas pipe band it it's i mean for me as an outsider looking in it's an awesome band partly because of the, your your awesome social media stuff that you make you made some really cool videos and stuff that I'd encourage anybody to hop on YouTube and just search Las Vegas Pipe Band. Aside from those interviews, which I think are really insightful and interesting, especially when you get somebody like Stuart Little on there. Um, you got some funny stuff. Mm -hmm. You got some great quality, just recordings of playing and stuff. And mm -hmm. you also have this thing called Celtic Thanksgiving, mm -hmm. which I have never had the chance to go to one. But it sounds to me like the like what all pipe bands should be aspiring to, to like get like sort of local people involved or interested. Tell me about yeah. Celtic Thanksgiving. I mean, this year was a bummer. I don't think you guys got to do it because of COVID, but uh, tell we me a little not. bit about it. How did it develop? What are some of your favorite things about it? How does it work? That kind of stuff. Sure, sure. Um, well, thanks for saying that. First of all, it is a uh, um, labor of love. It's very, <laughs> as most things Pipe Man related are, it's uh, an incredible pain in the and. But at the, when it's over, you're like it really years. happy. <laughs> almost worth it most years. Yeah. But the original idea, this was an idea I've had, I had like, way before I probably was even a pipe major. It's just something that was in the back of my head. Like, um, you know, nobody does a concert here. Like one of the biggest things I always enjoyed as growing up and being in high school band and like college stuff was like performing in a concert setting. Like it's very exciting. Like it always has been, always probably will be. Um, and like our people never ever experienced that. Most people in pipe bands, well, I wouldn't say most, maybe a significant part of people in pipe bands uh, don't ever learn another instrument they didn't come from something maybe the drummers but most other people are just hey bagpipes my family is scottish i'm gonna learn that you know it's 
mostly yeah. where those people come from, right? Yeah, and so often the the extent of performing for the pipe band is competition. Like that's yeah, that's what you're that's doing. about all you do. And then maybe you'll do a parade if you're unlucky, you know? Right. Uh, <laughs> if, if basically, if you have no other way to make money, you'll do a parade. Correct. Yeah, and and I hate parades, so and we don't do them uh, for that purpose. Yeah. Well, that's that's really all we can do pay. out here. We don't we, we don't have like <laughs> awesome venues and stuff out here. We're a, we're a parade band for sure because that's our lifeblood. But but I understand. Right. Yeah. If we exactly. could, if we had an, any other option, we'd do something else for sure. Right. Understood. Yeah. So, so anyway, this is an idea I had a long time ago, like just to have some sort of formal concert sort of thing. And then I thought it would be cool. It, it's also a great excuse to have somebody of a super high quality come out to play and or work with the band and create inspiration for the other players. That was really the impetus of why I came up with this idea. But then it took me, me being pipe major, then getting settled and then starting to figure out like, all right, can I pull this off and how would it work? And I just happened to get a pretty good president at the time of the organization. We're a nonprofit, so you have to have a board, you know. Yeah. And uh, back in like, I forget the year, maybe 2011, 2012, we, we got a very good president in who was very helpful and motivated to do things. And she helped me get it off the ground because, you know, we, I gave her the idea. That would be great. Let's have somebody of some significance come out and play like a Jack Lee Stewart little type or whatever. We've had lots of people out over the years. Um, Callum Beaumont, uh, Ali Henderson. Um, this year was, we were really sad. We we're going to have um, Ross Miller was scheduled to play. We, and we just had to cancel it obviously. But so like the idea being, it gives us an outlet to play for something that's not competition. It's a different part of the year. It's usually a downtime part of the year. So it gives us motivation to keep working when everybody else is kind of not doing anything. Yeah. 100%. Um, you know, the fall is where everybody takes break and mostly don't, doesn't do anything, yeah. you know, maintenance, goes, um, maintenance goes and your, all your muscles go. You, yep. Yeah. All that. Yep. So in the Thanksgiving part of it just sort of fell in our laps in the sense that, you know, there was, we couldn't do it in January because of Burns night. We couldn't do it in April because of the Vegas games. We could, can't really do it in the summer because we're too competition focused. So our choice was the fall and we just had to sort of make it work. The idea being the Thanksgiving thing, the first year it just happened to fall on Thanksgiving weekend because that's all we could get. So then we kind of went with it. It was, you know, really. <laughs> yeah. That's so really surprising to me because like I, I'm sitting here going like, man, we do a St. Patrick's Day concert like probably most pipe bands do. It's mm -hmm. I don't know of anybody else who's doing bagpipe stuff around Thanksgiving. So to me, that looks like one of the best strokes of genius through it all. And it, it happened to happen by luck, huh? Sometimes it's just luck. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we knew we were going to do it in October or November. We were trying to stay away from December because nobody does anything in December. Of course. Uh, and that's sort of how it worked out. So the venue we, we could get, we could, I think that was the only weekend that year we could do it. And it was, it just, we were like really nervous because it's like, nobody's going to be around. People are going to be thinking about Thanksgiving. Nobody's going to come. We did it for free. It was open to the public. Um, it was a, basically a two-hour show. The pipe band played, you know, on and off for maybe an hour. We we and we tried. The other part of this that was significant was I was trying to create an event other than the Highland Games because that the other Celtic groups in town would come together over. So oh, the dancers, sure, yeah. Irish and Scottish, Irish dancers very often get left out of everything. So, and I prefer Irish dancing to be quite honest. So I wanted to include them. Um, Scottish dancers, of course. Other musicians, meaning like, you know, violin or guitar or people doing like trad music or whatever you want to, whatever it was called at the time. Yeah. Um, that kind of stuff. And just make it, it kind of is like a Celtic variety show is kind of like joke that I say about it. But, um, you know, we even did, <laughs> we even did where five of us from the band did an Irish step dance with actual real Irish dancers. We went and took lessons for three months and learned a whole <laughs> choreography. Really? And 
<laughs> did it on stage. Yeah, it's fantastic. Is that, is that so, one on YouTube somewhere? Oh yeah, it's okay, out there. Yeah, I'm gonna find that one for sure. <laughs> I'll link it to you. It's it's it was it was hard, man. I'll tell you what, like it was hard from like because it was my idea. I'm like, oh, you know what would be cool if we did this? How cool would that be? People would be shocked. At uh, and the dancers are over there. And then I had to do it. Be like, oh yeah, you think you can do this? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, everybody's like, yes. And a couple people jumped on. We had one of the kids in the band was like, yeah, I'll do it. And then um, you may have heard of me talk about a guy named Angel in our band. Angel's like, oh yeah, I'll do yeah, that. And then a couple other guys jumped on. And so five of us did it. And it was like, oh boy, I guess we really gotta like. We took lessons like every week for three months. Wow, that's with commitment. the localized. Yeah, man, it was it was wild. Like to learn this choreography and learn some basics enough where we could pull it off, so it didn't look like we're just idiots out there, yeah. you know. So, like stuff like that, it was just completely off the wall. Um, then we created um, like an acapella group that we do where we sing acapella songs or like sea shanties or yeah, whatever. Just I, I'm whatever. Familiar with bollocks and fiddle. I have seen a few of those videos. <laughs> <laughs> yep, those. Um, so it just became this fun thing to produce. Um, and the idea again was to bring people together at a time of year where we include everybody as much as possible, you know, um, and sort of have something to do together. Even though we ran it, you know, we didn't make any money on it. I mean, it was free to the public. We would get a grant, hopefully, if we were lucky. Generally, you know, we'd lose money on the deal mostly, yeah. um, and get bring out some good players. Like our first year, we had Jack Lee, and which because we knew him, we were like, all right, Jack, we'll see if he'll do it, and he did. And then we just started to open it up from there, you know. But it was it's it's a great event, it's a great time. Um, <laughs> a few years in, I forget how many years in, we had to start charging, and the reason for that is a great story. Yeah, tell, well, tell me about it. Um, so. The first year, like you could say, sold out. Like it was completely full. The place seats 400 people and like standing room only, only they don't let you stand there, right? So, Man, did, and had you guys advertised it pretty hard or was it kind of a surprise to see so many people show up? We did, you know, in social media circles. We didn't like, sure. and we, we bought posters and we put them up around like the music shops in town. Like we did all that because we were like, nobody's going to be there. We've got to do something, right? Yeah. Try to get uh, so we, than just the parents of the band members. Correct. Correct. Exactly. So, um, so we did that and it was packed and everybody like loved it. So the next year, same thing happened again. We made it, it was free to the public, like, you know, and so people were, would call us about it six months in advance. Like, is this happening this year? Like, <laughs> yeah, awesome. uh, yeah, uh, I guess we don't know yet. We haven't oh, actually wow. decided yet. So anyway, um, a few years in what happened was uh, same thing kind of happened. It was like maybe four years in and as parents do, like some parents or uncles of some dancers, came late and couldn't get in because the fire code, right? They wouldn't let him in. Oh, yeah. So one of my band members who wasn't quite in the band yet, but he was like learning, uh, we usually put them in positions of like volunteer for stuff. So he was one of our ushers and he, he was, wouldn't let the guy in. <laughs> so the guy, you know, MF'd him all over the place. So oh, my daughter's in there. You're going to let me in. And just, just yeah. was like threatening to beat him up. Like he had a couple guys with him. Oh, man. So it was this, it was this whole thing. Like, we're like, ah, so, <laughs> so the next year we decided like, all right, we're going to start charging to force people to have to have to know ahead of time, whether they're coming, you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Um, so, and then we charged like five bucks. Just, it was just a gatekeeping thing. It wasn't, yeah, it totally, didn't really do it's anything. Basically still free. Yeah, exactly. So, and then that sold out and with like incredibly fast. And then we kept raising the prices a little bit at a time every year. Um, it did, it did help in the sense that people knew whether they're getting in or not. Um, yeah. It also, but it, you also start to realize how um, late people wait to to 
to go to something. Yeah, you got so like, like you'd have like a hundred tickets sold up until the week before, and then all of a sudden, yeah. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, oh my god, nobody's coming, and then yeah, boom, there it all hits. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, that was so it's a fun event. I, we really enjoy it. It's unfortunate it didn't happen this year. Um, a ton of work, obviously, planning and all that kind of stuff. But you know, yeah. we had a. Oh, go ahead. We had Callum out. We had Callum out last year. Callum Beaumont, and he's fantastic. It's just so great to like have the opportunity to listen to these guys play up close because we out here so, I mean, everywhere on the West Coast, I think, rarely get to hear these guys. Oh yeah, that especially level, especially you know. in person. I mean, it, you know, you can look them up on YouTube, but that's about it. Yeah. So and, and you and do you often get them to at least hang out with the band, or do you sometimes get them to stick around for an extra day to do like a workshop or something? Uh, we never we never have done the workshop thing. That was always kind of the intent but especially the guys from scotland they're almost always dodging their real job for a weekend oh, sure, and, yeah. and it's an it's an insane flight to get there and back yeah. so they almost always want to leave on sunday so they can get back to work by like tuesday you know yeah, there, there aren't a lot of people in this world that are making a real good living on bagpiping such that they could just hang out no 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 and and even if you offer them a um like a like a workshop fees or whatever it might be like they just some of these guys just don't charge all that much it's kind of funny it's kind of weird but like they make more either they have less freedom in their job than you think or they make more doing it i don't know which because yeah. i never asked but but it seems like they're really like itching to get back like they just can't take the time off and maybe because they they're not allowed i don't know how it works but mm. i never like i said i never asked but um but w- one thing i want to say about that is uh we do try to <laughs> so in the concert formation there's two things we do we do the concert and then we do an after party what we call an after party is for the performers basically that's a great but idea really what we what i always intended was for the the guest piper whoever that is to perform at the after party so a bulk of their job is actually that they play twice on stage for five minutes each that's incredibly little like just do whatever you want like sometimes we request like Stuart little we asked them to play or i asked them to play uh um thunderstruck the gordon duncan version yeah of course um and but other than that i'd like just kill five minutes do whatever you want you know but then the after party it's like all right now shred for blow my band on and off for an hour yeah like blow everybody's mind show them show them what's possible and get people amped up and then and it's just awesome like that's the part that's just fun so like jack would come and he then he'd get like the kids to play with him or you know, and that's huge for a lot of these guys. Like, oh my God, I got to play with Jack Lee. Or right. Calm is just, he's like nonstop, thousands of reels in his head and people are dancing, doing stuff. It's just awesome. <laughs> Stuart did the same thing. Like he was like playing, he's he's like arranging this country dance circle. He's like, all right, now you do, I'm going to play that. But when I do this, you're going to do this. And he's like teaching everybody how to dance. Really? You know, and it's like, yeah, man, it was wild. It's like, this is awesome. This is exactly what we wanted is like to what they would actually do over there that we never see. Yeah. You know, it's that like in the pub kind of stuff, cultural stuff that we never realize is happening, meaning musical culture kind of thing, you know? Right. It we was get, awesome. You get the sense that we're really only getting the tip of the iceberg here. Big time. Yeah. We just see the YouTube performance competition thing. Like you rarely see the fun stuff, you know? Yeah. So, so. It, it sounds to me like even when you're losing money on, on this event, it's paying dividends both in just sort of community outreach and then also just like internal inspiration for everybody who's there. Uh, now, that's where the Channerant part comes into this whole thing. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's not nearly as – I mean, maybe someday it'll come back to me and I'll realize that it was all worth it. But <laughs> in the moment, very often – 
I mean, it's cool in the moment, but you're also drinking whiskey, so everything's cool at the time. Every, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, 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 you could just got anybody to stand up and play and do a country dance, right? Right. I mean, even Josh sounds good when I'm drinking whiskey, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, so, but, you know, I, I would say last year, because we had Andrew Hoenicke out with Callum, so this first time we ever added a drummer to the mix, and he offered, he's like, yeah, I'll come out for it, um, it would be fun to do, and so he really inspired one of our snare drummers. Like she, she really got into it after being able to see him and like work with him, hmm. which has been great. So that's like the one really successful instance that I can think of oh, really? that, that somebody really like got highly motivated. So everybody else was like, Oh, that's cool. All right. And then they still don't show up to practice next week or whatever it is. No. You know what I mean? Oh, <laughs> like this is not working as I would, as I had hoped, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, maybe I just don't see it. I do have um, very high uh, expectations of people, so that can be troublesome. But mm. it definitely did not seem to uh, instill the like that motivation that I was hoping what, for. It wasn't lighting know. the fire that you thought it would, huh? No, no. I mean, people, they, they kind of, I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting, especially prepping for the concert the month before, because like, you have to go into a little bit extra practices and just the hemming and hawing, if you will, of... Oh, we got two practices this week, you know, and just the, yeah. it's just like nonstop, like complaining, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, whoa. And then what's also funny is you get to like the day before and somebody, then somebody has a brilliant idea. Oh, you know what we should have done? Oh, of course. Like, yeah. Hey man, how about like last year in February when I was asking people for ideas, like yeah. you bring it up then. You know, yeah, like, the, what do we? <laughs> there, there are two things that always happen the day before an event like that. Either somebody says, I can't be there, or they say, mm-hmm. hey, why don't we do this? And it's like, neither of these are good. You know, we've, we've got a program. We're sticking to the program, and you're going to be there. <laughs> Correct. Incredibly frustrating. And as the leader, theoretically, I'm supposed to be positive, but it, I find it incredibly annoying. Yeah, and, you have to be uh, like, that's such uh, a great idea. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I'll really look into that next year. We'll do some research, blah, blah, blah. Like, no, yeah. I don't think that at all. <laughs> Like, I want you to do it when I, like, give me ideas when it's time for ideas. Like, yeah. this is the wrong time. But uh, you're right. Also, the, the last minute no shows, which is for the concert, like, I would say almost has never happened. But almost everything else. Yeah. That Concert's is a thing. A like, they, time that those excuses don't come up. Huh? Oh, they, I think they're just so afraid of me oh, around I that see. time period. <laughs> up, huh? Like, do not. Oh, my God. Like, I get insane. Uh, when the last week before the sh- before the show, it gets very intense. You know, you're, you're um, like let me see. But give, give me your phone. I want to see your calendar right now. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm gonna put everybody. I'm gonna blank this out of your calendar and everybody's phone. Everybody, right. give me your like like months in advance. Like nobody's going. So it's St. Patrick's Day in the concert. I don't care what you got to do. I don't care if you're dead. Show up. Oh yeah, because St. Patrick's <laughs> Day. In, I mean, we there are some bands that can make a little bit of money here in Salt Lake if they go hop around between you know bars and stuff on St. Patrick's Day. They make a little bit, but I'd imagine it's nothing compared to a city like you know boston or las vegas mm-hmm. is that is that yeah i'd say like all your money for the rest of the year is st patrick's day pretty much and we should probably look into not doing that but i would say like 70 percent of our like operating budget is st patrick's day like income wow. from st patrick's day okay. and then we get we get i mean no, normal years you might get like convention openings and like honor guard type stuff for conventions and stuff but that hasn't happened in at least a year now um Normally that we might get some of those sort of deals, but St. Patrick's Day is significant. And last year, like we, we did maybe half the business we were supposed to, because that was the day everything was shutting down. Oh, like yeah. literally yeah, that day our, was the day. concert shut down. Yeah. It was wild. Like some of us, myself and Josh just went out and we just 
did whatever we could. We were like, we're out. We were the only ones playing. Maybe, maybe one other guy like playing on sidewalks and stuff. Uh, we had some gigs set up where, <laughs> yeah, we were thinking about that. There was a couple places that didn't cancel, but a lot of them did. Yeah. Um, uh, there were some people that were still resistant to everything going on at the time. Um, right. And they're like, oh, we're doing it anyway. Like, okay, whatever. Um, and we were, we're young and stupid. So yeah. <laughs> like, quick, yeah, we'll do it. Money before we catch it. <laughs> oh, oh, we were like, we we're absolutely desperate. Like, oh my God, everything is closing. Like we're going to be so screwed this year if, yeah. if this doesn't happen. So we were just out hustling and doing whatever. If somebody called us, we would, you know, uh, still said, all right, we're going forward. All right, we'll be there. You know, that kind of thing. So, yeah. But we should probably look into expanding our income opportunities. But uh, it's just that's how we make our money. Like parades don't pay in Las Vegas. Like literally you, they charge you to be in a parade. Oh. So we don't do them. Yeah, you know what I mean? So, um, so St. Patrick's Day is where it's at. And, and a little bit of other things here and there when you get a big event to Las Vegas. You know, Sometimes yeah. you get like that's... a curling event here and we play or something. You know, that kind of thing. Oh really? I mean that makes sense. It's a Scottish sport, but you know, middle of the desert, yeah. you don't usually usually think of pumice sliding across ice in Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised, man. We we get the uh, world, the North American Championship of uh, curling every two years. Really? Uh, and like, sometimes every year. Yeah. That's like that's like the equivalent of like like French fries in a frosty or something like that. That salty and sweet <laughs> combination. It's like yeah, let's go lay down the ice in Las Vegas. <laughs> Seems very odd, it. but. It's a very cool event. Like, and Canadians come out in force. Wow. Like, it's always sold out. Like, all the events are sold out. They, they, yeah, man, it's wild. And it's great. It's it's a really cool event. It's really well run. We're very happy to be part of it. But, you know, again, they haven't done it because of everything going on. But normally, it's about every two years that they come to Vegas to do it. Now, now speaking of these big events, um, the piano guys are really popular over here in Utah. So I was mm-hmm. aware of it when you guys did a thing with them. Mm-hmm. Um. No, nothing against them. I'm, I'm not necessarily personally like a super big fan. I, I mean, they're cool. You know, they're cool. But, but you know, it sounded like a cool opportunity anyway, you know, to go do a show. Um, but the one I wanted to ask you about, didn't you guys, did you guys play with the Chieftains? Like the Chieftains? Yes. Uh, we've done it two or three times now, I think. Oh, Probably three. Goodness. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll give you some controversy. Uh, if you want, give me um, controversy, give, give me anything, <laughs> honestly, because like right now I'm just like, I, I just, I salivated a little bit. Just, I've, I've been listening to the chieftains, like since I was a tiny child, you know, like this, they are sure. like the definition of Celtic music for me, you know? And so to Absolutely. imagine playing with them even once, but to t- two or three times, give me anything. You can't dash sure. my hopes. You can't ruin this for me. Just <laughs> no, no, no. It's not like bad per se, but it's just an interesting um, sort of dichotomy, I suppose. Well, not but very like, many people so, are going to get to do this. So, yeah, tell me what it's like because we're, we're yeah, all so going chief- to live vicariously through you, and I will stop interrupting <laughs> you now. Go ahead. No, that's okay. The uh, the Chieftains, it's a lot of fun to play. They give you the two t- – like, it's always the same two tunes that you play on the pipes. Um, and we – let's see. We've done it maybe three times. I think we've done the Piano Guys – maybe three times as well, if I remember correctly, maybe twice, something like that. And uh, I'll tell you this, playing for the piano guys is way better than playing for the chieftains. Wow. And and what I mean by that, and strictly from a how they treat you uh, standpoint, um, mm-hmm. the respect the piano guys give you versus what the chieftains and typical Celtic music, how they consider pipers, is very much on display. Um, oh, no. They didn't do anything specific, but they just weren't very nice to us. Are the um, chieftains kind of like, we have you here because the crowd demands it. If it were up to us, we would not have you here. What? That's the impression. That's the feeling you get. Absolutely. Oh, no. And maybe not from the main guy. He's 
I mean, he's very old at this point. I don't know. Uh, if little he, Patty? You know, he, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's very, he seems to be nice, but nobody talks to you in the hallways. And the other musicians, like the, I don't know, he's, there's like a cello player or something, violin player, and I don't know, a couple others. And they're just super cold. They're super high end. Typical of what you'd expect walking into a place yeah. like that. And that was my well, impression. And most like people. Global superstars as well, right? So maybe that's correct. part of it. And, and you, yeah, you definitely get that. Like, oh, we're the guest musicians that usually steal the show. Probably a little bit jealous there because the pipe room <laughs> definitely going. Uh, and you, you just feel it. Man. Classical musicians hate pipers. Um, and it's one of those. Um, so playing for the Chieftains, I would say I would, say, I would probably would never do it again. Really? Um, really? It's that bad? There's nothing in it for us. Uh, you, I mean, if you're a new person, especially as the leader of the group, to get people organized to pull this thing off is very difficult. Oh, sure, um, yeah. The tunes are not exactly simple. They're not hard, but they're not like... They're not, you know, high road to Gerlach, right? So well, I'd imagine you probably are dealing with like, all right, now we have to take a musical cue from another musician. So you've got to be watching Correct. and be ready to go. And that stuff does get complicated Correct. for sure. Correct. And it's, we're talking about pipers who've never been in that, probably never been in that situation. Most of them never worked with a conductor. And at anything all. beyond or, or... <laughs> band, band roll and two. Like that's the only ever really experience. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. And, and you have really no chance to prep for it. I suppose you could. I mean, I'm, I don't know. I, I don't know what he's going to do until he tells us he's going to do it. And I try to translate it into, in, so that they understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mostly we go by the rule of just do what I do and just come in a little bit late and you'll be fine. Just don't f*** it up. <laughs> just don't start early. No early you know? ease, please. <laughs> <laughs> just don't start early. You'll be fine. Um, but, uh, so anyway, like w- w- the opposite of that is the piano guys. And I, I'm like you, like I never heard of them until the first time they asked us to play. I am yeah. not into that kind of music. Like, it's okay. Like, yeah, it's no just not my to thing. Them. Like they're good at what they do. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's just not the thing I usually go seeking. So. Yes. Yeah, exactly. But I, and then I found out everybody loves them. Like, you know, Oh, we're going to play for the piano guys. And I just thought like, I'm like, I don't, I've never heard of them. And I was like, what the piano guys? I'm like, well, wait, you know them? <laughs> I mean, part, of, part of that might be like, you do have some Mormons in your pipe band, right? Uh, we have over the years. I, I don't, not technically currently, but I, I could, have. I could be wrong, but I, I know that they're, I mean, they're hot otherwise, but they're definitely, they're, they're pretty big within the Mormons. And so I, I that, that could yeah, have some absolutely. for sure. They're absolutely huge in Mormon circles, but I, you know, surprisingly outside of that too, that's what I found out. I didn't, I didn't know this. Yeah. Uh, and the people I'm like, Hey, who wants to play for the piano guys in the band? Like everybody's like, Oh, I want to do that. Like I've <laughs> never even heard of them. Like, <laughs> like, I don't even know. <laughs> like, Oh my God. So, and we're talking everybody, non-Mormons and everything like, Oh my God, that'll be so cool. Oh, there and, you go. And the thing about the, them is they treat with respect. Um, the, the guys, they're all super nice. They will, maybe that's a Mormon thing. I don't know, but <laughs> they, they will come up to you and say hi and thank you for playing. And um, none of that happened with the uh, chieftains. Uh-huh. Like nobody came up and said, thank you for being here. Now the piano guys pay you to play. The chieftains do not really like at least, like at least come in and get some exposure. Yeah. Lucky you, you get to play with the chieftains. Like, all right, yeah, that's cool. The first time. you know what i mean so um but at least say say thank you or come or like send the manager in. i don't know anything um you know what i mean so it's just like i'm pretty sensitive to that sort of thing so it's annoying but um but piano guys are just they were just super nice and it's granted you got to be there for so long yeah to play for maybe 60 seconds maybe yeah did they have you do because i know they did a youtube video a little while ago i think it was amazing grace um is that what they have you do 
Yeah, it's just Amazing Grace. It's yeah. their variation of it, and it's a little bit different than you typically play it. Um, it's like in 4-4 four, four time. It's, but it's not Cajun Grace, just to be clear. It's definitely not Cajun <laughs> Grace, but it's got that sort of feel. Yeah. Um, but it's super simple, um, and it's it's a great experience. Yeah, and, and the Chieftains was fun. Don't get me wrong. Everybody goes nuts when the Pipers come out to play, yeah. which is always fun, and you're usually in a cool place, like, like a good theater of some sort or whatever. Right. Um, but... It, not to say it was bad, like like you. I have a very good buddy, Daryl, in California, who's a piper. And uh, like the second time we played with them, he called me immediately when he heard about. it. He's like, "Dude, I'll do anything if you let me come play." Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I they're like like you. They're like the band. I, yeah, exactly. He's like, I've always listened to them. I just want to be able to play. I've never had the opportunity out here in California. Like, yeah, hell yeah, man. If you want, I don't care. Come yeah. on out. Um. So he did, and he just absolutely loved it. But. Um, and people like it. It's it's you know it's certainly fun, but it's not to me. It's not worth the headache. Like I have no feeling to ever need to do that again. Yeah. Um, so anyway, just yeah. So I've I've had the experience of playing with pipers with a concert band before, and we we did not worry about getting B flat chanters and reeds. We just kind of tried to tune down, and they kind of tuned up. Is that mm-hmm. how does the Las Vegas pipe band usually handle that with these big you know sort of uh, what's the word uh, these. Um, Oh, like I want to say crossover, but there's another word for it. Um, collaborations. These collaborations that you do with. Oh groups. yeah, uh, we we bought B flat tuners. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we. Uh, I don't know how many, however many years ago. Probably when we played the Chieftains the first time, which was probably eight years ago or something, and maybe I don't remember exactly. But and I think we were in a very good place financially at the time, so we just bought a bunch, six of them maybe or something. And yeah. we are like, all right, if we ever get these gigs, we have, I, I own one myself cause I do things like that on occasion, but yeah. I think we had mine plus five or six others or whatever it was. And so this is as many people as I can allow to do it, which also turned out to be a great way to cut people. Um, yeah. Then it's, not, <laughs> then it's not just you being mean, right? You're right. Like, exactly. Well, we it's like the top five get in and what can I say? You know, but uh, yeah, we, we use B flat channel. So I think it was, I know for sure the piano guys required it. Like they send you out this whole, like this whole thing via email, like this is when you need to be there. This like very detailed, exactly what you need to know. You, you need to have B flat channers. You need to block your drone. And they, they seem to know how to do it. So they probably had somebody help them set it yeah. up, you know, tell them how to do this. Um, so, and then chief did the same thing. Like, I don't remember getting a mailer. They might've sent us something. I don't remember, but I know they sent us music that uh, a guy in California had arranged for them. Mm, and that's gotcha. the music that everybody used for the chieftains. But yeah, you just B flat channers. Like there's no way to tune flat enough, at least in my experience. Oh yeah. We, we In this case, we had to have the concert band also tune up to meet us. We definitely couldn't get oh, all the way down <laughs> So yeah, it was yeah. kind of messy. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I personally have a B flat channer and like, honestly, I think it's my best sounding chanter. Like, when I play on my B flat chanter with my B flat read in there, uh, like I've got no tape on my chanter for some reason, like everything just comes out great. But. Yep. That's definitely true. Especially when they started making B flat reads, I don't know how long that's been going on, but like when I started buying those the last maybe three years ago, whatever it was I'm like, wow, these work amazingly well yeah. in this channer. Yeah, <laughs> they also work really well in a normal channer, to I'm, be honest. I'm really excited with, uh, you guys have the channer has their sponsor. Um, is it McClellan bagpipes? McClellan backpipes, yeah. They're do they're working on that that elevation chanter. I'm very excited mm-hmm. about that. But I feel like yeah, that's the effect that I'm getting from a B flat chanter is that like my high G is strong and in tune, and that's like magic. That's really that's <laughs> that's really all you got to do. Uh, somebody and hopefully McClellan pulls it off. They're they're about to do their. 
they've made final tweaks and they're right on the edge of like producing the channel finally. Yeah, I've harassed re- them with a bit. I've, I've, I'm sending that email <laughs> too often. I'm like, when's it coming out? <laughs> they're right on the edge. And um, I spoke to Joe Brady this morning, as a matter of fact, uh, and just sort of, and I'm on them too. I'm like, hey man, like I would love to get these for the band, but what's going on? So, um, and I've tested just just myself, but it's like a high G that I don't have to tape to hell, all to hell, which yeah. is great. It's like uh, and the B flat channel, you're right, does the same thing. The only thing is, it gets a little. It's just a little finicky on the bottom hand, at least in my experience. But you just it it seems more unstable with weather than mm-hmm. like a normal channel. But maybe I haven't, I haven't had an experience with weather, so I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I believe you. I just haven't. yeah. I, I mean, it's I've I, you know I very seldom use it to be honest, but so I haven't put a ton of time into it. But generally, yeah. that's what I remember about it. It gets a little squawky in the bottom hand at times if you're not careful, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, which many players in our band are, you know, don't have the experience to be careful. They just, it's all or nothing and just everything goes to hell, you know. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, no, it's it's very similar. It's, like I have a McClellan Channer right now. It's tuning somewhere around 470, mm. believe it or not, with a normal read. Um and it sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> like it's big and um, it's got a big sound for, with smaller holes. Like it's just so far, I'm really enjoying it. Um, I normally play a McCallum MC squared channer mm-hmm. with the band and my solos, and I struggle with getting a high G right. It's just not, I just can't, no matter what read I use or what I do, I just can't seem to get it to be where I want it, you know? Um, well. McClellan will keep sponsoring you, and McCallum probably never will with that kind of statement. So. Well, you know, tell you, make a channel that works <laughs> in the in the in the U.S. or Canada or whoever. You right, know, what are you yeah, going to do? Yeah. <laughs> now, now, I've got a hypothetical I want to ask you about, and then I promise I'll start wrapping it up. I don't want to make mm-hmm. you give up your whole day here. Um, yeah, no worries. But can you imagine, um, Andy? You know, you've been playing for a long time. You've run a pipe band. You've done a lot of a lot of stuff. So, can if hypothetically, like the world bagpipe authorities all got together and said okay we are going to officially like across the board change bagpipe music notation and chanter tuning to either concert a or concert b flat and the notation that's written on the page is going to match that and all across the board we're all going to be shooting for that tuning so it basically becomes more standardized with classical music Mm -hmm. is that a good thing first of all and then secondly, which would you want? Do you want bagpipes to play at concert A or concert B flat? I've heard, I've, <laughs> so in preparation for this, I've listened to some of your episodes to try to figure out what your show was. And uh, I, I've just started to hear you start to ask people about this. Um, I am all for standardization because I think the playing field is incredibly unfair the way the bagpipe world does it currently. So both in numbers and the pitch thing and normal musicians, if you will, quote unquote, normal musicians don't understand the idea of one band trying to be a little brighter than the next band and how that affects the impression of like a human being's impression of what sounds good or better relative to the thing you just heard, you know? So I, I think we're dealing with incredibly unfair system in my opinion. So I would be highly for standardization. I, the, the note i don't wouldn't really care that much to be honest like mm-hmm. i i don't know enough to say a flat's better than b or sorry a is better than b flat or vice versa yeah. you know um i don't even care if they said all right 449 or 476 or whatever the note is, whatever it, like it whatever standard. it is is becomes the standard you know yeah. and and i understand standardizing it 
so that you're playing with other instruments more that's a little less of a conundrum i suppose but uh mm-hmm. i don't know i <laughs> you're going to get a lot of the traditionalists or whatever that won't want to go that way of maybe course. maybe a lot of people but um i think anytime you standardize it you level the playing field and i and that's inherent and what we do is inherently unfair yeah i mean I like think, couldn't so, we even just have a standard for a specific games and just like have today everybody's shooting for this and like you, you know you don't have to be exactly there but say they say like you got to be within five cents of this or something like that you know for today yeah and i understand the difficulty of controlling that because if you get a hot day like and you're and you normally play at 476 you're playing at four air uh 81 or whatever it is right um so maybe the people organizing would have to have a clue and very often the people organizing don't have a clue yeah you'd have to have like the pipe majors get together at the beginning or something like all right here's the weather forecast here's where we're playing all right we can all agree on this pitch and that's what we'll go for today yeah I, i i mean Yes, I, there's there's definitely an issue, and I, I I can hear Andrew Douglas spinning in his wherever he is right now. <laughs> not as really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's not dead, but he's he's doing a dance right now, losing his mind. But um, yeah. I've heard him talk about things like this a little bit. But like, you're not trying to pick a number, and, and maybe this is an old way of thinking. Maybe it's just maybe it's the right way of thinking. I don't really know. I haven't spent enough time, you know, thinking about it to to come up with a conclusion. But he, he's very. I don't know, some people are very against like trying to hit a number. You're just trying to tune your drones, for example, relative to whatever your channel is doing that day. Right. Sure, yeah. So um, to try to pick a number and force everybody to it is going to cause issues. But then maybe that's part of the challenge of the pipe meter to be able to pull that off because very often a band is judged not not intentionally, but by the skill of the pipe major's ability to oh, yeah. tune in or set up a band. Right. Yeah. So often so, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah. Almost. There's a significant part of that that's never, you know, talked about, I guess. And, and it's not like it's a secret. It just is it just is how the game's thing works, you know. Yeah. So some pipe majors are better at tuning than others or whatever or maybe they're just better at systems or whatever it is, you know, if you ever hear Richard Parks talk about like everything he does, he just does from a common sense approach. Um and maybe that's why he's so dang good at it. I I don't know, but like to say like everybody's got to play at 480 might mean the pipe major's got to be a little bit better you know and maybe that's a thing i don't know yeah it could and it could so it could raise the bar for entry for competition and even creating a band to such a degree that it would actually be detrimental to the community so i can possible it's possible yeah Yeah, there's definitely an argument to be had there for sure what the answer is i mean i still think standardization makes it overall better in the long term but there's going to be that now that change that is going you're going to get resistance on you know but i i of course with any change there's always some resistance Right, exactly. So that and uh, make the numbers the same, and yeah. which most people seem to hate that idea for some reason. Why, <laughs> I don't understand, but okay. Uh, <laughs> it creates more bands because people won't be able to, you can't you know, flood a band with too many players and um, creates competition to fit into a certain circumstance, which you know, improves the level of play, uh, and then also just makes everything fair, theoretically. You know? Yeah. Well, I'd better so, not say yeah. anything on that topic because some of my best friends are in some of the, uh, biggest the bigger bands. So. <laughs> <laughs> understood. Understood. Um, so I, I want to kind of, kind of bring this toward a, as graceful a close as possible by asking you sure. two more questions, if that's okay. Um, one would be in your experience where you have played multiple instruments, including pipes and drums, 
what are the benefits for pipers learning to play drums and drummers learning to play pipes, even if they don't do it competitively? Um, pipers, f for sure. I think, I think it's it's a great idea to have pipers uh, take snare lessons or something, something on that side. I would say snare more than anything, but um, because. Even before I took snare lessons, because I think like a drummer, like I was very aware of what was going on over there and what works and what doesn't. Um, not that my opinion was is better than anybody else's in particular, but I can tell when things aren't right as opposed to maybe knowing when things are particularly good. Sure. So like if the bass drummer's off or if it's the ensemble isn't lining up right or stuff like that, like I can tell that because I'm aware of what drums are supposed to be doing. In, you know, overall, mm -hmm. and that can be incredibly useful, even if you're just a core player. Um, like for, sometimes what we do, like I've done this in band before is, is, all right, I want you to play through this, this tune again, or this part. We did this recently. Um, and I want you to listen to what the drummers are doing. Like, don't focus on your playing. If you make a mistake, don't worry about it, but just think about what the snare drummers are playing with you and how it lines up and where the accents fall, stuff like that. Mm. Um, and as soon as they started doing that, at first it wasn't right. And then we did, okay, now do it again and try to match them. Like try to land that note at the same time they're landing their role or whatever it was, you know? Yeah. And then they could suddenly, like we were playing tighter because they were listening and or thinking about what the other instruments of the band are doing. Now I had to make, I had to point that out, but if I didn't know that, like we would just be playing two chords playing at the same time in the general vicinity of each other right oh that's a beautiful and, way to describe it absolutely <laughs> two chords so, at the same time general vicinity absolutely right so and we don't want that to be better musicians or a better presentation of our band or whatever that is competitively or just musically you know so like doing those kind of things like just knowing kind of what's going on over there because I learned that score it was a march score that I and, and I'm not playing in the drum section anymore and I'm by no means very good but I'm aware of it. And that's really huge. I think, um, same thing goes the other way. I, su I suppose like betcha and I don't have this experience, but drummers that play pipes are going to be more likely to understand the intricacies of the rhythm of the pipe tune. Mm. Right. Especially if you're doing um, something like a Strass Bay or something like that. Correct. Strass Bays, reels, whatever things other than maybe just your typical four, four March, but even that to a certain extent, um, you're, you're just so much more aware of like what you're trying to accomplish in the grand scheme of this monster of a pipe band, you know, yeah. like what, why is this particular hit on the tenor so important when it seems so unimportant? You know, yeah. From, when, when from taken the out of context all by itself, it might sound completely random or totally unimportant or, or even weird. Right. Yeah, exactly. And like, I, I do this in my normal drumming life too, where I'm listening to the guitar player or the bass player and like, I'm lining up my drum parts to match the rhythm of the part that they're playing. Even I, I do it even, I don't even think about it. It's a lot of times I, until after we record ourselves, I'm like, huh, I'm really locked in on what he's doing there. I didn't do that on purpose. It just kind of came out because I was listening to him. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like a planned thing. Um, yeah, and I like think this, an, it's like an ability to listen to someone else while still playing what you're playing instead of listening to yourself while you're playing. Correct. Correct. That's huge. And I think that's where, beginner bands and, and maybe they just can't cause they just don't have the, the Ram in the head, if you will, to yeah, like sometimes think of, to have, yourself, you know? yeah, they don't, they just can't think that much yet, but that should be their goal eventually, mm. you know? So, gotcha. but yeah. Well, that's beautiful. So I'm, I just, I'm imagining a beautiful future where all, all drummers have at least a practice chanter <laughs> and all pipers have at least sticks in a pad. 
I think so. Uh, one t- we did this thing once at uh, Flagstaff. There's a school in Flagstaff here, uh, or in Arizona, obviously. And Hoinicke actually was teaching that year. And they did this thing where they cross-trained. They had all the pipers go to a drum class and all the drummers go, like, play practice chair. Just mostly just to – it was a fun thing. But also, mm-hmm. pipers, think like a drummer. This is what the drummers are doing. And then I thought it was very – that came, I was like, wow, that's a great idea. Like that's our people should idea. be doing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm all for it. And, and so now, now finally, Andy, um, and we'll probably, we'll probably kind of have, you know, the graceful fade out into drones or something as you, as you make this next <laughs> statement. Um, oh boy. Uh, wait, so, wait, wait. Can I guess what you're going to ask me? Go ahead and ask me or guess. Go ahead and guess. All right. It's an absolute travesty to put pineapples on pizza. I'm <laughs> going down on the record saying it. No pineapples on pizza. You're killing me, people. <laughs> Is that it? Or no?